Hello and welcome to Praying on Purpose. Yesterday we had the privilege of reading Parshas Kisavo, which begins with the Torah's description of the mitzvah of Bikurim, a mitzvah that we have not yet had the opportunity to perform, but the Torah giving us a bit of a glimpse with really exquisite detail describes the entire process from beginning to end in which a farmer who is living in the land of Israel will take the first of his fruits, specifically of the Shivas Aminim, the special fruits of the land of Israel, and bring them to the Beis Amigdash, offering them as a gift to the Kohen. And the Torah, somewhat uncharacteristically, really goes into really extraordinary detail, talking about this mitzvah, that may be, at least partially, why it is that Chazal tell us that there's something rather unique and very special about this mitzvah. And this is rather surprising, but the Medrash already in the very beginning, on the first word in the entire Torah, we know, of course, the Torah begins with the words, Bereshiz bar lokim In the beginning, Hashem created the heavens and the earth. On that word, Bereshiz, Chazal and the Medrash tell us, Bishvil reishis nivra olam. The world was created because of reishis. What is reishis? So there are different interpretations, different iterations in the Medrash, according to one interpretation, Bishvil Yisrael, because of the Jewish people that are called reishis. In yet another interpretation in the Medrash, Bishvil Torah, because of the Torah that is called reishis. And then most remarkably and surprisingly, the Medrash tells us because of the mitzvah of Bikurim, which is also called Reishis, the world was created. Now that's a little strange. If you would think about the most important mitzvahs in the Torah, we probably wouldn't start with Bikurim. And if I had to compile a list of the mitzvahs that I would think that in the Zuchus, because of that which can be accomplished through this mitzvah, would sort of justify the creation of the world, I'm not sure that Bikurim would make it even to the top ten. 20, 30, I, I don't know. And here Chazal tell us, Bishvil, because of the mitzvah of Bikurim. So the question is why? What is so extraordinary? What is so unique about the mitzvah of Bikurim? Now, I'm not a farmer, and I imagine if you're listening to this, neither are you, but we have to just sort of take a step back and appreciate for a moment the life of a farmer who, of course, engages some very, very difficult work, hard work, sweat and tears for months in the field, all the time not being in any way whatsoever certain that uh, the land will produce a good crop or perhaps there won't be a crop at all. There are real genuine fears of Parnassah, survival. And then one day, suddenly, in the distance, he sees a small red dot and he goes and he sees the beginning of the budding of, let's say, a pomegranate, which of course is one of the Shivas Haminim. And he watches this continue to grow and to ripen. And when it is finally ready, he removes it from its source of growth. And what is he going to do with this? What would the farmer typically want to do with this? He's going to take it home and he's going to bring his entire family together and they're going to celebrate this moment. Look what we have accomplished. Look how fortunate we are. Baruch Hashem, the land is responding. All of our efforts, all of our toil, the plowing and the sowing and the threshing and all that we needed to do, it's now finally coming to fruition. And he's going to take this fruit, which is going to represent all of his hard effort and all of the labor and all of the sweat and the tears and the worry and the concern, and he's going to be so excited to be able to partake of this fruit. 
Now says the Torah, take that moment, that moment of joy and pleasure and that sense of satisfaction and accomplishment, look what I've achieved, and capture it. Freeze that moment and channel it towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's a moment of such thrill and elation. Don't allow this moment to go to waste. Don't go ahead and just sort of cut this up into little pieces and share it with all the members of your family. Let's incorporate these emotions so that they become part of our Avodah Hashem. I remember many years ago when I had the opportunity to study in Karim Yavne, the Mashkiach of the Yeshiva, Rav Avram Rivlin, so he, when he was speaking about the mitzvah of Bikurim, so he actually associated it with another story in Chumash, which uh, we would probably normally not make a connection, and that is the famous story of the reunion between Yaakov and Yosef. We know that Yaakov and Yosef were separated for a period of 22 years, during which time Yaakov had no idea that his son was even alive. And they were very close. We know that they had a very special relationship beforehand. In fact, in their last moments together, as Chazal tell us, they were studying Torah. And then Yosef was tragically taken from his family, from his father, and Yaakov had no idea what was going to be. And then finally Yaakov learns that Yosef is alive, and he travels to Mitzrayim. And the Torah tells us, in one of the most dramatic stories in the entire Chumash, that Yosef prepares his chariot, and he goes to greet his father, and at that moment that they see each other, the Torah tells us, Vayipol al-Tzavarav, Vayevk al-Tzavarav od. Literally, he falls on his neck, and he further cries on his neck. Now Rashi tells us that Yosef, who was overwhelmed with tremendous emotion at this time, he expresses it through tremendous amount of tears. Says Rashi, He cried more than what we would expect, more than is typical in a situation where people are being reunited, it was an extremely elaborate expression of joy and emotion. Aval Yaakov, says Rashi, quoting Chazal, did not fall on Yosef's neck, and he didn't cry, and he didn't kiss him. Chazal tell us what was Yaakov doing at that moment? Why was he not engaged in this moment? Why was he not completely focused on his reunion with his son? Because he was saying Kriyashima. Now this is rather strange if you think about it. And the questions that we typically sort of default to is, well, wait, what's going on over here? Was it Zman Kriya Shema? Why didn't he say Shema before, beforehand? Perhaps he could wait it a few minutes after he goes ahead and he hugs and he kisses and he cries with Yosef. And we could say, if it was really Zman Kriya Shema, so why didn't Yosef say Shema? So look, what's going on over here? It's very, very strange to understand. And it's sort of natural to sort of try to explain this away using a rather technical halachic explanation. Rav Rivlin explained over here that what's happening over here is something very different. That it's not that this was the Zman Kriyashma, but for 22 years, Yaakov was in a state of great emotional distress. As the Torah itself tells us, he was unable to be comforted. He was not really able to be consoled for what he believed, but perhaps deep inside knew, was not really the death of his son. And it was a very, very difficult period of over two decades. And throughout that entire period of time, Yaakov's davening, must have been affected by it. He was in a state of what we would call depression, whether it was actual depression, but there was something missing from inside of him. And at this moment, Yaakov had a massive surge of spiritual energy. He has a moment of just incredible joy and happiness, and his emotion was overbearing. And he realizes, you know, I can't allow that moment to pass. 
without channeling it towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Let me freeze that feeling. Let me say Kriya Shema like I've never said it before, with such intense hislavos, with excitement, with joy, with just this intense feeling. And Rav Rivlin suggested that this is very similar conceptually to the concept of the Mevi Bikurim, who goes ahead and at the moment of such personal joy, he devotes, he dedicates, he channels that emotion to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You know, we all have moments throughout life in which we have intense feelings. Sometimes those feelings are very positive and sometimes they're not. These moments do not necessarily coincide perfectly with the time that we are going to daven. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But imagine that we have a moment in which we're feeling something very strong. We are feeling this surge of emotional energy, and what we are seeing here is that there may be a benefit in thinking about how to channel that moment, or at least to share part of it, to appropriate, if you will, part of that moment to my service of Hashem. There is a Mishnah in the third parak of Pirkeiavos that teaches, in the name of Rabbi Chanina ben Chachinoi, that if a person is awake at night and he's walking alone, he's mahalich b'derech and he allows his heart to just be distracted, and as the Mishnah says, mafana libel which means he's just thinking about really nothing, harizem eschayiv ben nafsho, which literally means he is like held responsible for his life. And Rabbi Yonah explains over there in his commentary on Pekayavos that there are certain moments in life which are just perfect for moments of connection with Hashem. There are moments where I am not distracted by anything else and I am alone with my thoughts. And these are moments that I can really channel in a very productive way to sort of strengthen and cement my relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And if I allow those moments to come and go, and I don't seize them the way I should, so says the Mishnah, why would I waste such a sacred moment? And I think about that Mishnah as being partially relevant to this discussion, because the whole concept, the way we understand the Mevi Bikurim, bringing these Bikurim, these first fruits, which represent a sense of personal accomplishment. They bring joy to his heart. And when we think about how Yaakov Avinu's reunion with Yosef restored so much of his spirit, in these moments, we take these feelings and we try to channel them to HaKadosh Baruch We try to incorporate them into our davening. And I don't mean davening over here in the most limited, literal sense, but more broadly, in terms of our relationship, our connection, our emotional bond with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When we think about tefillah in this way, we really have the ability to energize our tefillahs. If we are able to speak, to communicate, to connect with HaKadosh Baruch Hu informally, moments in which we are not engaged in formal moments of prayer, so then that could really infuse much meaning, which will enable the moments of formal prayer to be greatly enhanced. We will experience those moments on a very, very different level. And so therefore we should think about seizing moments in life, moments of excitement, moments of satisfaction, moments of surprise, moments of elation, and perhaps also moments of sadness, moments of frustration, moments of anger, where we have strong emotions, when we have these intense emotions and trying to share them with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and transform these moments as moments which can catalyze our relationship. We will hopefully be zoche to find that our moments of formal communication with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the moments in which we are talking to Hashem through prayer, 
will become very enhanced through this process. That connection will feel more real, it will feel more authentic, and we will hopefully find that our moments of prayer in general will be that much more meaningful. That that connection, that relationship that we have with the Kaddish Baruch Hu will not feel so regimented, it won't feel so scheduled that we're sort of coming in and coming out, that we have to turn something on and turn something off, but we can be inspired by the maybe Bikurim to realize that moments in life in which we are feeling intense emotions, we should seize the opportunities to channel those emotions towards our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day. Amen.